everybody welcome back to the upside swings draft podcast the podcast with the highest ceiling i'm your host bryce hendricks joined as always by stone hansen rejoined by the great ryan davis and we have the next guest in our series of guests uh william morris um here to talk about the celtics uh will how you doing i'm doing really well thank you guys so much for having me um been enjoying listening to your podcast over the, the draft season so yeah it's really cool to be on here yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Stone, Davis, how are you guys doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm really excited to start day three of the grind of recording all these podcasts. Um, but uh, I actually really like a lot of Will's uh, thoughts and, and perspectives on the draft, so I'm excited to see what he has to say. Yeah, for sure. Davis? Yeah, I'm doing good. It's nice to finally uh, rejoin rejoin the, the podcast after – having to work the last few days, but um, I'm glad to make this one and I'm, I'm glad to uh, continue to talk basketball. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to dive into the Celtics and uh, the Celtics have kind of had a, an interesting kind of postseason, um, not just postseason playing, but the, the beginning of their offseason has been crazy as well. Um, you know, Jason Tatum had two straight 50 point home games in uh, their postseason play. And then, they ended up losing in five to the Nets and things went crazy. Danny Ainge stepped down. Uh, Brad Stevens stepped up to be the GM. They just recently hired Ime Udoka to be their next head coach. So there's a lot of turmoil in Boston. Um, but with that also comes so, some questions about the roster. So, Will, what do you think are the biggest needs that the Celtics have on their roster right now, the biggest holes that need to be filled? Yeah, so, I mean, just – Thinking about last year's team, um, I think our biggest issue was just like having a guy who could consistently uh, get inside and penetrate, uh, you know, get into the teeth of the defense. Um, obviously, Tatum and Brown are, are our two stars. Um, those are incredible shot making wings, but, you know, those like easy rim attempts don't really um, come with those with those two guys. Um, and Kemba Walker, who you know, he's never been like a super high rim pressure guard. Um, I think with like the injury and everything is like what, what rim pressure he did generate just kind of fell off a cliff. So this year for him, only 12.6% of his field goal attempts came within uh, zero to three feet of the rim and sort of just comparing that to, you know, the rest of his career, um, so last year it was 19.8 the year before 25.2. So he's sort of been hovering in that like 20% range. He had a year in Charlotte where it was 30, but, uh, you know, moving down to 12% this year was definitely an issue for us. Um, and obviously Kemba Walker's off the team, but, um, and I'm, I'm not like, this isn't me trying to roast Kemba Walker. I, I absolutely love him and wish him all the best, um, in Oklahoma city, if he does stay there. Um, but you know, this team had an issue with rim pressure. Um, and I think, you know, with, even with them gone, that's still going to be an issue for us next year, uh, unless we address it. You know, something that's been really interesting, like a theme that's already run through these, uh, pods we've done is that that's like almost every team brings that up as a need. Uh, it's sort of like, like no one has too many wings, no team generates too much rim pressure, right? It's, 
if you have good spacing, the, the, mo the more rim pressure, the better. Um, but yeah, I think that's sort of the issue with having your two stars be sort of, you know, like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, or we see this with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in the regular season at times. Um, when you just have two guys who don't generate a lot of uh, rim pressure, it's hard to make a defense really get out of their base to really make a move around. Um, and, and, and I'll ask you, so the, the Celtics only have the 45th pick. Do you think there's anyone in that, in that range who could, who could potentially fill that void or, or is this something that they're hundred percent going to have to go out of the draft to get? Yeah. So, I mean, at 45, it's kind of a tough look. I mean, they had the 16th pick that they obviously gave up and, you know, Sharif Cooper is like the obvious answer there. Um, so I track unassisted remakes for 40 minutes. Um, and, you know, Sharif obviously had a limited sample only playing 12 games, but I have a database with like uh, 185 guards in like the last decade, um, just using the amazing data from Bart Torvik. Um, and Sharif Cooper is third only behind Alfred Payton, strangely enough, and De'Aaron Fox. Um, and he's like ahead of John Moran and all like all kinds of guys who generate a ton of rim pressure. Kyrie, like, you know, he's so like, he's really in that upper echelon in terms of like getting inside um, and, you know, breaking down the defense. Um, and obviously we don't have that 16th pick anymore. So he's not really an option. Um, and interestingly, like comparing this year to last year, um, last year's class, I feel like, you know, you had a good number of guards that you could get later in the draft that were able to get inside. Maybe they aren't like the passing savants of Sharif Cooper, but like, you know, you had Devon Dotson, Sabin Lee, um, a certain college of Charleston point guard that I was very high on. Um, and this year you don't really have that. I mean, I guess there's like Scotty Pippen Jr. Um, but yeah, I mean, even at 45, I don't know if that's like the best option. So to me, it's not really a need that we can address in this draft, um, which, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Stone. Oh, I was going to say, um, so w without it being um, something that you can find in the draft or, or um, fill that need, uh, is there any free agent out there uh, this offseason that you're really looking at to help sort of fill that void for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the issue with the Celtics right now is just like, there isn't really, like, we don't really have the cap space to go out and sign someone. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we, like, we can keep Fournier on with, like, bird rights, but um, in terms of, like, actual cap space and just, like, getting some unrestricted free agent, we can't really do it. I mean, two guys I have jotted down here that, um, you know, just we could potentially sign as point guards because, like, the only guys listed at point guard on our roster right now are, Peyton Pritchard and I guess Marcus Smart, who's kind of, you know, a one or a two. Um, and then I guess Carson Edwards is still there, but, and, you know, he's not really much of a lead guard either, but, you know, you could maybe get Patty Mills from San Antonio, but who knows if he's going to leave there. I mean, you could bring Rondo back to Boston, but like, 
there just isn't really too much that we can really do. Um, but, you know, go looking forward into next off season, uh, like there isn't a name I have in mind, but like moving on from Kemba's contract and having, you know, Horford's contract only being partially guaranteed, maybe we have some more flexibility, but I think this off season, it's going to be really hard to address that issue. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think that sets me up for something I, I wanted to get into you with. And that's sort of like, where do you think the Celtics go from here? Do you think they continue on this, on this, like trying to be a, the competitive team that they've been for the last five years? Or, or do you think they, they take a step back and take a year to, to sort of evaluate the talent on the team, the young talent and, and sort of go from there to see where things, to see where they should shape this team. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably go with the latter on that. Like, I just, and I think part of it's just out of necessity. Like, there isn't really, like, too many big moves that we can make unless we're, you know, going to try to trade Marcus Smart, which I think a lot of people in Boston would be very opposed to. And I mean, Marcus Smart's given me a lot of joy for the last uh, few years. Um, so, like, it really pains me to even think about trading him. Um and then, but like, you know, the rest of the guys on the team, um, like Neesmith and Langford, I think we just like got to see what we have in them um, because, you know, I don't really know how much value they have right now. If we kind of tried to like trade all those back of the rotation players, because I mean, I just don't really think teams are going to value them that highly. Um, so I say we kind of just give it a year and see what happens. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would agree. That's what you got to do. Um, so, so shifting it back to the draft a little bit, uh, who who are some guys at this forty fifth pick um, that you have your eyes on? Uh, you know, you mentioned that there's not a lot of guard depth in this class, but there's a lot of wing depth. And despite the Celtics having a lot of wings, you know, you could always take some more. Uh, there's some big depth in here too. So, so who are some guys you could see around that forty fifth pick that that sort of makes sense here uh, with the Celtics? Yeah, so I guess two guys that come to mind right away. Um, and they're kind of guard wing types. Um, but Joel Ayayi from Gonzaga, I don't know if he's still going to be available at 45. I know ESPN's board had him ridiculously low, but I think he pulled out of the combine. So I think there was talk that he maybe had a promise or something like that. Um, but I mean, if he's there at 45, I think you kind of have to go with him. Um, just like, you know, on that Gonzaga team, he was mostly used off ball this year. Um, just like his incredible cutter. Uh, and that's how he generated most of his offense. But, you know, if you watch him a little bit more the year before he played on ball a little bit more, um, ran some secondary pick and roll, flashed some pull-up shooting. He's a very good passer. Um, not like an amazing passer, but you know, he can, uh, make quick decisions. Um, he's not going to like catch it and hold it for a super long time. And he, you know, on secondary pick and rolls, he can hit the roll man with lobs. He has this like slick righty wraparound pass, um, can make that skip pass to the weak side corner, mostly with his right hand. But, um, yeah, I, I think he's someone that I would take very seriously if he's still there. 
good team defender too. Although, you know, he's a little bit limited physically uh, being one, only 180 pounds. And then the other one is David Johnson, who I think is kind of a similar idea. Although I think the ceiling with him is a little higher just because defensively he's very well built six, five. I think he measured in at like six ten for his wingspan at the combine. Um, very well built, very, very strong, uh, just a really sturdy defensive player. And then on the offensive end, um, his assist numbers really dropped this year, uh, but he had a 36 assist rate as a freshman. And uh, if, you know, if you like watch those Louisville games, those, his teammates just really couldn't shoot the ball. Like he'd make a really nice kick out pass and his teammates would miss it. So yeah, just, just for some numbers here, excluding David Johnson's number, Louisville shot 28% from three. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a reason why his assist numbers dropped. Um, what makes him more, a little bit more of a question mark compared to a Yai is, uh, just like his shooting is a little bit, um, it's a little bit questionable, particularly his pull-up shooting. So like, if you're thinking he's going to be a guy who's going to like, you know, be a lead guard and like hit a bunch of pull-ups, it's probably not going to happen. Um, he shot very well on spot-ups this year. Um, but the, the pull-up just really isn't there and he doesn't seem like he's going to offer much versatility as a shooter, but if the spot up numbers from this year are real. Um, so he hit 20 of his 42 catch and shoot attempts. It's easy to see him sticking on offense. Um, and then, you know, he'll provide plenty of value on the defensive end too. So I guess those are two guys that come to mind right away for me. Yeah. David Johnson is the, is the guy I wanted to bring up here too, because I think he's, Honestly, he's sort of the only guard that I think will still be here at this pick that generates that rim pressure you want. Um, and, and it's not even with burst. It's just he's so strong and he's 6'5". Um, and I, I do think he's a solid spot-up shooter, especially he's even shown some range um, here and there. He has a really strong base. Uh, so if he can kind of get a runway, I could see him being – an okay downhill driver and being able to hit some solid kickouts and uh, just sort of be a buoy for an offense that as a backup point guard or even sort of an off guard who, who can attack and close out, like I said. So he's someone who I like here a lot. Um, Davis, what do you think of uh, Joel AI in, in Boston? Yeah. Um, I'm, I love a Yai there. I, I said for a Yai, uh, I would like him to get drafted to a, a like playoff team um, or, or a contender or, you know, a, a somewhat contending team um, just because I feel like he fits that type of team better and, and, and that role coming off the bench, providing defense, um, you know, the cuts and he, he has the, he has the three ball. He's pretty smart. Um, so he's not going to, he's not going to cost you, cost you any games. Um, he's not going to, he probably won't win you any games either, but um, he can definitely play a, a role off the bench in, in helping you win. Um, so I like, a, I like a Yai there. Um, David Johnson, I like there too. Um, another guy that I'm pretty high on. Um, he kind of got his stock up a little bit. So I don't know if he'll, he'll be there at 45, but I've seen his range from like, 
30 to even undrafted, which is like Jason Preston. Um, so I would, I would like that fit there too. Um, maybe not, not the, you know, the strongest point guard out there or uh, the most athletic, but I feel like he is, he is pretty smart and um, can get to the rim and make the right decision. Yeah, Preston, Preston's someone I actually really like too. Um, he's like top 30 on my board. Um, and I think he kind of showed today uh, and yesterday actually in the combine games um, how he's, he's a very level-headed player. Like he doesn't get flustered very easily. He can deal with a lot of um, ball pressure and not turn it over very much. Um, he knows when to make the right passes and where to make them. Uh, he's good at making the help defense come over and, and drawing a double so he can pass out of it. Um, there's a lot to like there for me with Preston, and he's someone who I, I think kind of gets labeled as being sort of a, a flashier player. And at times he can be, but I think for the most part, he's someone who makes a lot of the right decisions and just um, plays pretty much within himself, I would say. So th there's a lot to like there and one other name I'll throw at you before we move along here I would be uh Sandrew Mamu I can't I can never Mamu, yeah so what Bryce said um and I think like as a 6-9 point guard or 6-10 point guard it's pretty interesting look and just someone I guess you could throw out there and give your team a different look at times um obviously he's a train wreck defensively but uh, if he's playing alongside maybe Robert Williams and he has uh, Marcus Smart out there on the perimeter with him, it can help cover a little bit of those deficiencies. Um, so how would you see him uh, fitting in with the Celtics there? Yeah, I mean, Sandro is just like a really weird player. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like you just don't really see guys like him very often. I think, yeah. I think I'm generally a little lower on him just because I think the defense is going to be really rough. And I think being a big guy and being the way he is on the defensive end is just, I don't know. It just makes it tough yeah. for me, but um, yeah, I mean, he's going to be a pretty good shooter. It seems um, I know like, what was it? 33.6% from three this year, but I think he's probably a better shooter than that. Um, very good passer. Uh, for a 6'11 guy can handle the ball a little bit just like a true weirdo but I mean yeah I mean at 45 I'm not opposed to it um, yeah I, I don't think it'd be a bad pick I did want to throw out another guy too really quickly um, and that's Sam Hauser from Virginia um, and he's not really a guy who's gotten too much buzz as a prospect um, but this is a guy who's a legit six foot eight uh, 700 threes for his college career and shot 43.9% from uh, three, 88% from the foul line. Um, and these are not easy attempts. Uh, this, this is a guy who played at Virginia um, in their blocker mover scheme. And he's running off a lot of pin downs, things like that. Um, good footwork. He can fade off screens. Um, and like in terms of like backwards momentum off ball shooters, he's definitely one of the, the best players in this class. Um, just like fade, fading off screens. And then like Virginia used him a lot as a screener where he'd like set a screen for a guy and then sort of fade back. Um, really good off ball mover, um, you know, passing and relocating very good cutter. 
and you know, good decision maker as well. Um, can use his shooting gravity to make plays for others. So, I mean, at 45, if he's there, I feel like that's another good option. The questions with him are mostly related to what happens when he gets chased off the line. Um, and then on the defensive end, how does he fit in? I think similarly to, I think he's better than uh, Sandro on the defensive end. Um, and I think he's probably better lateral mover than that, but um, yeah, like in terms of ground coverage and things like that, there's definitely going to be some issues, but a guy who can shoot like that and, you know, moves off ball like that at, at 45 is not a bad value pick. Yeah. yeah. So something I always, I always want to ask every time Hauser gets brought up is do you prefer Hauser or Wieskamp? Because I feel like, I feel like Wieskamp is probably the more popular one, but they're very similar players. So, so I just wonder who would you rather see in Celtics green next year? Yeah. I mean, I've kind of been a bigger fan of Hauser just because he's larger. Um, and you know, that, that certainly matters. And I also think that Hauser is probably a better shooter too. Not that Wieskamp isn't a good shooter. He's obviously an incredible shooter, but I mean, I would definitely rank those guys similarly. I think Wieskamp, you know, like I, I hate to use the term sneaky athlete, but like he's kind of that, <laughs> um, you know, he can, uh, I can't believe I just used that, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, like he's a, he, like his combine numbers and stuff weren't too shabby uh, if I'm remembering correctly, not that that matters or, or anything, but I think like him on the defensive end is probably a little bit more projectable than Hauser. Um, but yeah, I think Hauser is probably a little bit better of a shooter and is also larger. Yeah, I, I, I concur. We should just replace the term sneaky athlete in the basketball lexicon with just white dude who jumps okay, because <laughs> that's what it means 90% of the time. Um, but, uh, you know, we usually ask people, what's the worst case scenario? I feel like it's hard to have a worst case scenario with the 45th pick, um, because 90% yeah. of the players who, who get picked around there just aren't really... NBA contributors but is there anyone you're like really low on that you that you wouldn't want the the Celtics to pick for whatever reason yeah I mean the at, at 45 I'm kind <laughs> yeah, of, yeah. like I'm kind of just like whatever like exactly my, I think my nightmare scenario would basically just be like trading which I think is very unlikely but like trading up to like 13th or 14th or something and giving up one of smart or Robert Williams, which I think is unrealistic, but I think like, I don't know, maybe making a move up like that and then drafting someone I'm just like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think who we could draft that trade up and draft that I wouldn't really like too much. I don't know. Trading up and drafting. <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, yeah. Kuminga is someone I'm low on, but like he's not going to be there at 12. He's going higher than that. Um, yeah. And like you said, it, it is pretty unrealistic, I think. And it's tough at 45 because, like Bryce mentioned, it, it, it's hard to blow a pick at 45. <laughs> so yeah. The expectations aren't too high. So um, that's kind of, I guess, an unfair question in this in this case. Um, one, one thing I will ask, though, is, is there 
any is there any scenario um i mean you mentioned smarter or robert williams but is there any other asset or anything that you would like to see maybe uh to try and use to to get back in this draft whether it's a, a to get a first round pick or even um uh buy a late second round pick if there's a guy you really like that falls um is there any scenario in which you see that as a possibility or, or something that you would like to see? Yeah. I mean, I think the one guy that like we really can trade right now is Tristan Thompson. Um, and I know like there probably aren't going to be like too many interested teams, but if we can get a pick in like the thirties, I, I would honestly take it. Like maybe we can get something higher than that. Um, yeah, I mean, but again, like, who's going to be there in the 30s that's really going to fill our fill a need for us? Um, like, because unless like Sharif does some crazy fall, um, it's he's just not going to be there. Um, so I mean, like, I don't know, trade like moving moving into the 30s and like, if Deuce McBride is there or something, I would love that i know mcbride doesn't get to the rim much but um just like a really good defensive guard um i know he like he he doesn't like fill our big issue uh, in terms of generating rim pressure from the guard position and he's not like an amazing passer or anything but i think he's just a guy that can come in and stick in a rotation right away um but like I don't, I don't really know how realistic it is that we actually are going to be able to like trade Thompson for a pick like that, but, you know, maybe buying a pick in the late second round, uh, some more guys that I do like maybe Raekwon gray, um, real, like another really weird player, um, at six, eight, uh, has some switchability on the defensive end, just a really strong dude. Um, good off ball defender as well. Very active disrupting drives, uh, with stunts and digs and things like that. Offensively, um, just like a bulldozer once he gets ahead of steam, uh, is moving downhill and there's some like really weird passing stuff with him. Uh, you know, like, as a drive and kick guy throwing passes uh, in the pick and roll with um, you know, throwing like live dribble passes in the pick and roll uh, making weak guys, weak side skip passes. Um, like he's going to be a monster in transition if he sticks, because he's going to have a head of steam where he can get to the rim. Uh, he's going to be able to find open teammates. Um, and then shooting wise, like I think that's kind of the question mark hasn't historically been a good shooter. Um, but he's flashed some like weird pull-up stuff, um, has shown a little floater game. So I don't know. He's definitely an interesting guy that could be there very late in this draft that uh, might not be a, a bad guy to take a flyer on. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the sort of cap space situation there where they don't have a whole lot of flexibility. Uh, and the Celtics are in a, sort of a unique position where they they could uh, theoretically pivot into um, not a not a rebuild per se, but I guess a retooling uh, because th their two stars are still in a pretty young age range on, on a young timeline. 
um obviously they, they would probably rather win now and be in that mode but um how likely of a scenario do you think it would be to try and maybe buy into or, or acquire some of these uh late second round picks or undrafted free agents just because of the cap situation yeah i think it's definitely a possibility um you know just sort of to fill out the roster uh i think we have a good number of guys coming back but like i could definitely see us buying getting like a late second or a late second round pick or signing like some guard as an undrafted free agent, just because our guard depth is so poor right now. Um, so I don't know. I think like, like some getting someone like Marcus Zagorowski is definitely a possibility too. Um, I have enjoyed watching him as a college player. I don't really know if he's um, much of an NBA guy. He's from around here. Um, but like, I, I can definitely see us getting someone like him uh, just sort of to like fill out as a depth piece. But uh, yeah, so I guess to answer your question, I think it's probably likely, but yeah. yeah. What's interesting about the Celtics too is how many unproven players are going to have to play minutes. Um, it's just like the, the way their cap situation is gone and the way Danny Ainge sort of refused to kind of like uh, coalesce assets, draft assets. I mean, Tremont Waters, Carson Edwards, Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford, uh, maybe even like a Yam Madar. I don't know if he's planning on coming over anytime soon, um, but he they drafted him last year, I believe. Um, and then, you know, whoever gets picked with the 45th pick, and well, I would agree with you, probably at least one undrafted free agent like that's a lot of unproven players on sort of the 17 man roster assuming one or two of these guys gets a two way um it's they're going to be in an interesting spot because with Kemba gone their their rotation of proven players is really slim it's you know the two wings Horford Tatum Smart uh, assuming they bring back Fournier Fournier um Tristan Thompson, but even he sort of has proven to be not a player who fits in the self with the Celtics. So it's sort of, they're at an interesting spot. Well, one you don't see very often, which is where you have clear top of the line guys in Tatum, in Brown, all stars, but the rest of the roster is just kind of a jumble of, of like, it's almost like the thunder where it's almost like a jumble of like bets. Like a couple of these guys are going to work out probably you know, three if we're really lucky, but it's an interesting, it'll be an interesting team to watch, um, especially because I'm, I'm a huge uh, Aaron Neesmith fan. So really hoping he comes through. That's my guy. Um, but it's, they're at an interesting spot. And, and with giving up that 16th pick, I think, I think it shows that they want more real players, at least a little bit. Um, so it's just sort of, I, I'm interested to see what they do uh, in this draft, in this offseason, despite them kind of being at a point where it doesn't seem like there's a lot they can do. Yeah, I mean, like you said, like just watching some of these guys who haven't really played that much is going to be interesting. Neesmith, I, like, I was on the other end of the Neesmith spectrum. I didn't really like that pick. I was 
more of the mindset that like, there's no way this guy is really this good of a shooter. Um, I didn't really see where else he provided value. Um, and in some ways he has proved, he's proven me right. Cause like his movement shooting stuff, I don't think was like as potent as people thought it was going to be, but like he competed hard. Like he attacks the glass, um, you know, plays well on the defensive end. So in some ways he has also proven me wrong a little bit. Um, but you know, it's still a very, it's just a huge question mark. You don't really know what you have in him. And then Romeo Langf- Langford really hasn't played much at all. Um, and he's still very young, but we really just, yeah, I mean, it's, we, we just don't really know what we've, we have in him. Yeah. Well, even guys who, I mean, Tremont Waters and Carson Edwards were drafted three seasons ago. Is this their, are they entering their third yeah, season? Yeah, I think they're in their third season. Yeah, yeah. And I think since Tremont was a second round pick, I think he's a free agent. Um, so I think his contract maybe expired. Um, so I think he's yeah. won that. I thought they were going to bring him back with the, I guess I just assumed, I shouldn't assume, but I thought they were going to just bring him back with the qualifying offer. But you're right, because he was on a two-year two-way. Um, and that I believe the qualifying offer after that is a, is a league minimum, but I could be wrong. Um, yeah, so I think he's – I think if we give him that qualif- – who knows? I mean, we'll, yeah. we'll definitely yeah, see yeah. him. That's sort of <laughs> – yeah, exactly. But it, either way, you know, even even if you don't bring him back in, in, or if you don't bring like a Taco Paul back, it's still – then it's a lot of vet mins, right? It's just – and I don't think Boston right now is the most attractive place for veteran minimum guys. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how Brad Stevens, that's so weird to say, to see how Brad Stevens constructs this <laughs> roster. Um, but uh, I'm interested to see, I like Ime Odoka as a coach. So hoping, uh, hoping that works out. So yeah. Stone, is there anything, is there anything else you want to hit on uh, that you think would be a good fit for the Celtics? Um. Not necessarily. The only other thing I would say maybe is they have Grant Williams too, hasn't really panned out up to this point, I think, for some people's expectations. Um, I mean, he's been okay at points, but he's also been somewhat of a disappointment in other other areas. Um, So, I mean, maybe dangling him out there to see what kind of pick you can get dependent on who's available still in the draft would be something to look at. Uh, I mean, maybe you can still get someone who would value him in enough to throw out like a high second rounder. Um, and if there's someone that you like to target maybe, but uh, yeah, overall, I, I think it's difficult because the, the Celtics are sort of working on the margins here uh, for this off season, at least. And, and I'm not really sure uh, what sort of significant moves they can make that'll move the needle uh, a whole lot. So um, yeah, there, there's not too much else for me in, in that perspective yeah uh morris or william do you have any other like uh you know final thoughts you want to get out on the celtics here that you uh you know maybe things you're looking forward to things you're nervous about just whatever whatever you're feeling about the celtics because uh this is going to be a really really interesting offseason despite or maybe even because of the constraints placed upon the the franchise yeah i mean i don't know i'm just very excited and interested interested to see how this era all looks um you know it's definitely been a lot of change this offseason new gm new coach um 
So yeah, I guess my like expectations going into this season are generally pretty low um, just because I don't really see the avenues where we can, you know, make that substantial leap sort of like what stone was getting at, but um, yeah, I'm just very interested to see how this all pans out. Yeah, for sure. Um, Davis, is there anything else you want to say on the Celtics? Um, I, I agree with basically everything. I'm sad. They're kind of just in that basketball purgatory for, for this upcoming year where they're just kind of in the middle. Um, kind of like, kind of like the Pacers too. They're kind of right there, but uh, yeah, they're, they're just one of those teams that has to kind of wait, see if they have anybody. And then they at least know they have stars. So they just gotta, they just gotta figure the rest out. Yeah. That's what's so interesting to me about the Celtics is it's just, and, and I don't know if anyone saw it coming, but the way they constructed the cap with the roster, it was just, it's sort of looking back, it's always been this ticking time bomb. This was always going to happen when you had, you know, two players who were going to be max, uh, max players and Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown. And, you know, they had made a couple conference finals in a row only to have one of the most disappointing seasons this year of, of any team. Um, but there's still optimism because you have one of the best six, eight pull-up shooters in NBA history, right next to um, Kevin Durant and, and perhaps soon to be joined by Kate Cunningham. Um, but William, uh, this was awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, tell the people everything, everything you do, where they can find you, all your work, uh, plug yourself to your heart's content. Yeah. So uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter at W underscore a underscore Morris. Um, you can find my tweets there. I tweet a lot of quip. Uh, clips stats things like that just my opinions on prospects um and then i've done some writing as well um so you can find my work on uh, zonahoops.com i have a few pieces there um one of them on like cam thomas david johnson and yayi so if you want uh more stuff on them you can check those out um have a piece on franz wagner as well um so yeah, that's where you can find my writing and my tweets. And yeah, yeah, of course, thank you guys so much for having me on. I had a great time talking with you guys. Yeah, this was great. Um, yeah, William is an excellent writer uh, and, and some of his statistical studies are some of the most interesting on all of Twitter. Um, Stone is at report underscore court. Uh, Davis is at sports by Davis and I'm at Bryce Hendrick 14 all on Twitter. Um, this has been the Upside Swings podcast. Uh, we want to thank everyone for listening. We hope we get our ceiling. Thank you.